Morning. You know, I started uh, oh, a couple of years ago, I suppose, uh, reading a poem up here every once in a while. And first time I did, I was scared to death. Matter of fact, Kay Plew told my wife that uh, probably would have looked a little bit better if he wouldn't have been chewing that gum so hard. <laughs> well, uh, we've got uh, we've got a young man in our uh, congregation that wrote this poem, and he said he was too bashful to get up here and do it. Well, I kind of figure that one of these days he's going to. Uh, name is Colin Masters. And I'm pretty impressed with this poem. I hope I can do it justice. It's called Bring the Light. I look towards the south and I see hell brewing. I feel the wind pushing north and I know that the storm is coming. I stand tall and strong, not weak and dreary. Though darkness may surround me now, I don't fear a thing, because I know that God will guide my path. And with him, I will help bring the light to this storm. Our text this morning is uh, Hebrews chapter ni- uh, 10, verses 19 to thir- through 39. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holy- holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated, for you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. 
But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Let's pray. Father God, I ask please that your Holy Spirit come down and open our hearts and our minds to your word today. Blessed be your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, God's so good, isn't he? We're going to find out if you really think so today. (laughs) So remember, this section, we've been in this section, I think, now three weeks, just from 19 to 39. We're going to finish it up today. And as we've been looking at it, we're we're in the fourth, remember, the fourth warning in the book of Hebrews. There's one more to come. And as we look at it, I I I want to remind you, so we can get the overall view, right, of, of what we're looking at. Because if you remember, it begins with telling us the, the excellency and the supremacy of Christ over all things. So you need to hold on to that all the way through. That idea that Jesus Christ is the greatest treasure you can ever possess. Now whether or not you actually believe that, we'll find out in a minute. So we hold on to that. We were challenged. Don't drift. Don't drift. Stay anchored. What do we stay anchored to? Jesus Christ. Don't drift. We're, we're told that drifting leads to doubting. That doubting leads to dullness. A dullness of hearing, right? So now we're not moving on with God. We're stuck in the wilderness. Hebrews chapter 6. The dullness of hearing leads to despising God and His Word. You remember that that's what led David to sin. We talked about it, right? And in David's sin, do you remember what God's ch- uh, challenge to David was? God, to, to a man after God's own heart, don't lose sight of who David is. <clears throat> God said to David, why do you hate me? We, I don't think we see sin the same way God does. I'm sure David had... You know, a long list of excuses of why he stumbled and fell. But I think it's important for us to remind ourselves how God sees it. And God challenged us. In the beginning of this section, in in verses 19 and, and following, He called us three things. God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have communion with me. In the beginning in Genesis, what does it tell us? It tells us that that Adam walked with God in the cool of the evening. What does that say to you? It's, it's God having communion with His creation. God spending time with His creation. What could be better than that? The greatest treasure? But it wasn't too far after that that a piece of fruit He couldn't have sounded better. What is our greatest treasure? He calls us, draw near, have communion with Him. He calls us to hold fast our confession. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Then God says, hold fast to that confession. That means I hold on to that confession in the face of adversity. I hold on to that confession in the face of illness. I hold on to that confession in the face of being disappointed with God. I hold on to that confession, period. Hold on. Draw near. And then he says, get together. Get together with one another. And consider, think deeply about how to encourage each other. We in the church do the opposite. In case you didn't know that. Do you guys didn't know that? We have a tendency in the church, not a good one. We have a bad tendency to tear each other down. We have a bad tendency to get together in groups where other people are absent and say, oh, these bunch of knuckleheads. Or those bunch of knuckleheads are together saying that about the other group. What does God say to do? He says, I want you guys to gather up and think deeply. Spend your energy on how to help them. Spend your energy on how to encourage them. Spend your energy on how to love them more. To stir them up 
to love and good works. This is what God calls us to. Communion, draw near. Hold fast, even in the face of disappointing circumstances. Hold fast to our confession with God. And then gather together, like we are right now. Gather together, but not as an opportunity to, to, to take shots at each other. As an opportunity to encourage. To build each other up. To challenge one another. To look for a way to bring that special piece of encouragement. Now you may remember, then, immediately following last week, <coughs> we moved into that warning. What was the warning? The warning is that we need to learn not to despise God. What, what he said, what the challenge was, was you're, you're not giving honor to the Son of God. You're not regarding His blood. And you're frustrating the Holy Spirit. And he says, if you do those things, God says, I will judge you. Now, some people like to comfort you and tell you he's talking to unbelievers. I, I don't... Sorry, you're going to have a hard time making that fly. He says, after you were enlightened, after you were sanctified, um, last I checked, those are the kind of language you use for believers, right? So he says, make sure. What, what, what is that? The, that's the opposite of communion with God. That's the opposite of, of holding fast our confession. It's the opposite of coming together and encouraging one another, right? So if we're doing the opposite, God says... I'm going to judge that. We talked about it, right? Judgment begins where? In the house of God. Right? Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. Why? He said, the world's already lost. When a lost person acts like a lost person, I don't think God's frustrated. But, when a follower of Jesus Christ does, now that's something different, isn't it? The challenge for us was look into ourselves. Judge ourselves. Consider for, for real where we're at. Repent. Fall into the hands of God. Remember last time we, we ended it with what, what David said. We started with David, right? Remember this example? And then we ended it. What did David say? David, falling on his face before the accusers who had told him he sinned, he came and he said, I want to fall into the hands of God. Lord, I repent. I want you to fix me. I need you to fix me. That's where we go. That's how judgment begins. We can either let God judge us like the wicked we read about in the Old Testament. The sons of Eli, Nadab and Abihu, the man picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. You guys remember all those examples? We let God do it. Or we can hear the warning and go to God ourselves. Remember the cornerstone? The cornerstone, Jesus Christ, the chief of the corner. He's, there's two ways we relate to him. One, he falls on us and grinds us to powder. Bad. <laughs> Two, we fall on Him and we're broken. Now we were broken before we fell on Him, right? And it's only in Him we can be made whole in the first place. That's how we relate to Him. And that's the challenge. Now we move into this next section of Scripture. This next section of Scripture is calling us to look back. Think back about the journey you've been on. How your life has gone, where the fingerprints of God are in your life, and realize that what that tells us is we need endurance. You need endurance today? Man, I need endurance. I don't know about you guys, I need endurance. Won't you ever just feel tired of the grind? Tired of the, you know, whatever, digging a hole and feeling it back up? Didn't that pretty much sum up life? What you doing today? Digging a hole. What you going to do tomorrow? Fill it up. What you going to do the next day? Dig a hole. What are you going to do after that? Fill it up. That's kind of life, no? But we don't want to get caught up in the humdrum because we got to keep our eyes on the prize, no? We got to keep our eyes on the prize. That's the challenge. Let's look at verse 32. It says, But recall the former days. But recall the former days after you were enlightened, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Oh, somebody told you you come to Jesus and all your problems were going away. I'm not sure they told you the truth. That's not been my, my reality. Jesus has been the answer to all my problems, yes. And the strength for all my problems, absolutely. My deliverance, my healer, all those things, for sure. 
But my, my struggles didn't go away. I didn't wake up the day after I come to faith in Jesus Christ and have no sinful urges anymore. I still wanted to do wrong. He says, I want you to remember that you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Think back to those days before. You've been a Christian for a while. And think to the struggle you endured. That word for struggle is the word from which we get the English word athletics. It, it even sounds like it. Athlesson. Athlesson is the word for hard struggle. It, it's like a picture of a, a race, a marathon. Life is like that, right? Not a sprint. It's long and it can be grueling. So think back, he says, to the hard struggle you had. Think back to the difficulties that you face. Look at those things and realize that we still have obstacles to overcome. And God has been with you to overcome them. God is your strength to, to overcome. It says in verse 33, sometimes being publicly exposed. Isn't that exciting? Don't you love public exposure? I don't know why anybody want to be president. You're not allowed a bad day. You're not allowed. Uh, you're not allowed a lot of things, right? <coughs> Just you want to know what it's like. Go to work tomorrow and start telling everybody about Jesus. Now, once they know you're a Christian, watch what happens. Hey, hey, hey! What are you looking at? I didn't know Christians could tell that kind of joke. Are you laughing at that? It's funny, but those kind of things happen, right? Publicly exposed. He says, look, you guys were publicly exposed to reproach. Reproach, that means hateful speech. Now, I don't want to minimize what these guys he's talking to about. I want to give you a picture of what they're talking about. That they were exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those that were so treated. So for them, it doesn't matter which time period you take. There's multiple time periods we can choose from during the, the Roman era over Christianity. But there was a lot of persecution against Christians. A lot of persecutions for people who wanted to follow Christ. And it came from a variety of sources. Sometimes within your own family. For example, becoming a, being a Jew and becoming a Christian was the same kind of thing that you would experience today for a Muslim becoming a Christian. What happens to your whole family? Yeah, they're like, oh, dude, you're, you're dead to me. That's probably the best. The worst, maybe you really are dead to me. The idea was that there was this harsh struggle. Life wasn't easy. They didn't wake up the next day and, 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 and have all their problems go away. What they had the next day was a more physical, physically demanding struggle. Remember that struggle, he says. Remember the fight. Remember the marathon. Remember the things they said about you when you first became a Christian. Remember the things that happened to you during all that time. But look what else he's going to point out. Not only did it happen to you, but you were partners with those that it happened to. So they would look at others that that were facing this, and the body would be support for those. Support for those who were facing persecution. For those who were struggling. For those who are having difficulty. Jesus said, this is how they're going to know. You belong to me. It's going to be how you love each other. He could have said, this is how they'll know you belong to me. By the way you discipline each other. But he didn't. He could have said, this is the way that, that they'll know you belong to me. By your ability to speak Greek or Hebrew. But he didn't. He said it was going to be how you loved each other. How you were partners with those who were suffering. How you were helpful with those who were struggling. Now that's not easy, right? Good, I hope we're getting that. That's not easy. And that's going to keep happening. Is there ever going to be a time where we're not going to have people who are struggling? Not till we see Jesus face to face. So will there always be a need? Yeah. Kind of like digging a hole and filling it up. But doing it 
with so much joy because you know you remember who you're doing it for. And that's the part we struggle with sometimes. What's he say to us here? He says, listen, not only that, you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. What? Now I want you to see what it was. It's like this in a lot of third world countries too. Um, When someone goes to prison, they don't feed them, they don't clothe them, they don't do nothing for them. In, In the U.S. it's not that way. But in a lot of other places, like in when I was in Peru, um, some in the Philippines the same way. If you go to prison and your family doesn't take care of you, you die. You get it. If they don't bring you clothes, you're naked. They don't give you clothes. If they don't bring you food daily, you starve. You don't get fed. And in Rome, it was definitely that way. So when a Christian got thrown into prison, if everybody just forgot about him, then he was gone. But I just want you to think about this. What happened if you took him food? What happened if you brought them clothes? What do they know about you? Why is that guy in jail? Because he's a Christian. So when you bring him food, it costs you something. When you bring him clothes, it costs you something. And they did it joyfully. They joyfully endured the loss of all their stuff. They come in and bring food and clothes and maybe they do it for a while. Maybe that visitation was open and everything was cool. But then one day they go home and there's the soldiers. Hey, you've been coming to prison a lot. Visiting that guy, Paul. You're a Christian? Man, we got a good place for you to stay. And while we're moving you there, this is a nice house. We're going to take it. This is nice stuff. We'll take it too. That's the world they lived in. It's a little harsher than Facebook, right? A little bit little harsher kind of reality. So they have this struggle that they endure. They're a public spectacle. Everybody can see it because it's happening publicly. And <clears throat> they were having compassion. They had compassion on one another. They had compassion. They had love for each other. Love that was so great that even they would go even if they lost everything. And if they lost everything, they rejoiced. I don't I don't know why the why the church is struggling. I don't know why the church is having such a hard time. I don't know why the church is a lack of power. I don't know why we don't see the Holy Spirit moving like the Holy Spirit moved in days of old. Oh, well, just spend a little time reading. Is that how we love each other? I hope so. I hope that's our desire. That we would love each other that way. That we would love each other enough to overlook the differences. That we would love each other enough to see past the, the challenges. That we would love each other enough to confront one another if we're in sin. And that we would lovingly receive that confrontation and realize, yeah, you know what, maybe I'm a little out of whack here. I need to repent and get my life right. That the church could be that way. Listen to what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 4, nine. he said this, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. You could put the word least there. As least of all. Like men sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. Now, <clears throat> That was how the reality of how Paul saw his life, not just his, his and the other apostles, the disciples, teachers, believers. He said, man, this is, this is how life is. This is how life is. 
But it says they were partners together with him. That word partner, I just don't want you to miss this. That word partner, they were partnered together, is the word koinonia. You guys heard of that, right? It's fellowship. They have fellowship with each other. They're like, man, they arrested Tom the other day. Wow. I'm going to bring them stuff this week. Maybe they'll get me next week. And I don't, I don't know how they looked at it, how they saw it, but that's, <clears throat> they, they were moved for koinonia and sympathy. Sympathy, compassion for them. But then look at verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Look at the next phrase. Since you knew that you had a better possession. Remember how we started? Is that really your treasure? Is the treasure your stuff, your house, your kids, your family? Your wife, your husband, your mother or father, or any other thing. Where's your treasure? The reason that this happened, the reason they were able to endure, was because Jesus Christ was their treasure. They said, man, we got a more enduring possession. We have Jesus. He never wears out. We have Jesus. He'll never leave us or forsake us. They can do all this stuff to us, but the worst they can do is usher me into the presence of Jesus. So they could face it all with joy. And it comes back to that idea. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is a more enduring possession? Do you believe that He is a treasure worth losing everything for? Because that's where they were. That's where that power ushered forth from. That's where all those things came. Because they recognize Jesus as that treasure. Jesus as that thing that they need. A better and abiding. A better and abiding one. Man, it's, it's just amazing to me. These guys accepted the unjust seizure of their stuff. And they did it with joy. And that, that takes grace, no? That which enabled them to do with joy was they had a consciousness that they had a possession greater that they couldn't take away. They had a possession that was greater that they couldn't take away. And that, that is what encouraged them. Even though the next day was another hole. Or another arrest. Or a bat of torture. Or worse. But they hold on to the idea that I have something they can't get. They can't take this. And that possession is Jesus Christ. Listen. Listen to what... The book of Hebrews in a few weeks will be there in chapter 11. It says uh, in verse 24, By faith Moses, when he was grown, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He considered the reproaches of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He considered being reproached for Christ a greater treasure than all the gold in Pharaoh's house. Than all the peace that he had. He said, I'd rather be counted with those guys over there that everybody hates. I want to stand with them. I want to be in that crew. And hated, I'd rather have that because that is better than all the gold or silver or, or position you can give me. Is that how we see the treasure? You see, some people were in prison, lost everything. And others, <clears throat> out of sympathy, risked everything that they had, <clears throat> walked away from their comfort, Just for the chance to minister to a brother 
And the next day was more persecution. And the next day was more. We have need of endurance. Where's that endurance come from? He just told us. Knowing that Jesus Christ is the greatest treasure we can ever have. That we have a better possession and an abiding one. Do we have our eyes focused on Jesus? Do we have our eschatological eyes? Our eyes focused on a future that, that has in that future Jesus Christ standing before us and realizing that that is greater than anything else. That's the dividing line. They kept an eye towards God's future promises. Think about this. Acts 5, 40 and 41. The disciples are caught preaching about Jesus. You guys know the story, right? They get drug in before the council. Same council that crucified Christ. They get beaten. Told not to preach in the name of Jesus. In verse 40 it says, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let him go. And they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They said, Man, thank you Jesus that you count us worthy to suffer for your name. That's a foreign attitude. No? But it needs to be our heart. Because Jesus said in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. What happens to our stuff here? It breaks, don't it? You don't know what happens to your stuff? Have kids. I was not allowed to have anything nice the whole time we had boys. If we bought a couch, it was broke. Ten minutes. Them old couches, when we were young, them old couches had little spindly legs. You remember them? Ten minutes. God have mercy. We kept them. We took the broken legs off, and I put two-by-fours underneath. And then when the boys jumped on the couch... Or we started WWF or NFL football in the living room. If all that stuff happened, the couches survived. And Kathy said, can we get new couches? And I say, no. (laughs) When those little people leave, we can get something. As long as they're here, they break it. What happens to our stuff here? It just falls apart. Is that our treasure? Is our treasure our stuff? Because he says here, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves can't steal it. Can they take away Jesus from you? No. But if Jesus doesn't matter to you, we're back to last week. If you don't rightly acknowledge the Son of God or value the blood of Jesus Christ, then that's a different position altogether. And it's one we need to repent of And realize this is the heart that God wants me to have. If that better possession is great enough, you'll even be able to rejoice in loss. If it's great enough. Two things, better and abiding, right? Psalm 1611. Psalm 1611 says this. You make known to me the path of life, for in your presence there is Fullness of joy. What's that? Better. What was the second one? And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What's that? Abiding. He is a better and abiding possession than anything we have here. Anything we can have, He is better. There is a future blessing There is a future reality. We've got to keep our eyes on. Look what it says in verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is great reward. Don't throw away Jesus. That's the greatest thing you have. You throw that away, what do you got? Don't throw away your confidence. Don't lose your confidence. He's calling us to an encouragement, a confidence that comes from Christ. 
understanding what he did, what he's accomplished for us. For the whole book of Hebrews, all the way to chapter 10, has been all about that. Hold fast to the confidence. <clears throat> Hold fast to the treasure that we have in Christ. Why? Because Christ is the one who destroyed the power of death. That's chapter 2. Christ is our high priest who opens up the way to the throne of grace. That's chapter 4. Christ is the one who ever lives to make intercession for us. He stands for us before God. That's chapter 7. Christ is the one whose blood cleanses our conscience. That's chapter 9. Christ is the one that obtained an eternal redemption. That's chapter 9. Christ's death is the single sacrifice that perfects us. For all time. That's chapter 10. Christ will make all his enemies a footstool for his feet. That's chapter 10. Christ will come again. He's going to come again to save all who are eagerly waiting for him. Christ is a mediator of a new and better covenant that ensures the forgiveness of our sins and the writing of the law in our hearts and the presence of God in the midst, in our midst forever and ever. That's all chapter 8. Because of the earlier conduct of the readers, they showed that they knew the value of their possession. So they wouldn't throw it away. You know the value? Because that's what Hebrews has been all about. Jesus Christ is better. He's better than all these other things. He's everything that we need. But the struggle is being able to recognize, being able to understand, being able to know. So the encouragement from Hebrews is consider him. Think deeply about Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. All that we have in him. Don't throw away your confidence. And then the call is to endurance. For you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You have need of endurance. It's not a short race. There'll be more heartache tomorrow. Jackie, this is not a very encouraging sermon. It's a real one. It ought to match up and measure up to life. No? Christ is the treasure we need. And if we have that treasure, we need to recognize we have need of endurance. Listen to what James says. James chapter 1. You guys all know this. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And we always say the same thing. Well, how am I supposed to do that? Well, if the possession you have in Christ is greater, you'll still be able to have joy. If the possession you're losing is greater, you're going to have a hard time. We have need of endurance. You know, sometimes the possession we lose is not a thing. Right? Sometimes the possession we lose is a who. And that's just real too. And sometimes we pray and we hope for God to do a healing. We believe God can heal. We believe God can restore. But if we're going to be honest and truthful, sometimes God says, no. And we can tell when our hearts ripped out of our chest, as it should be, which is okay to mourn. There's nothing wrong with that. But it helps us see, what am I holding on to here? Is it all about the people in my life? The things in my life? Or there's a hard one. How about the children in your life? That's rugged. But that's just a reality, no? Here's the children. What about them? What if God takes one of them? If the, if the possession, that heavenly possession that you possess is greater, you won't be rocked in your faith. You will mourn as you should. 
But you won't mourn as those who have no hope. Why? Because God said, Hey, you didn't lose anybody. I got them. You didn't lose anybody. They're mine. They always were. But, if that's not your treasure, man, that's a rugged day. Getting to be, being a preacher gives you opportunity to be around a rugged days. I've shared with you guys before, friends of Kathy and mine, I was at a board meeting or something and I got a note telling me that this couple that Kathy and I knew had just ran over their baby. So we run to the hospital. Do you think in uh, pastor school they teach you what to say? You really think there's something to say? There ain't nothing you got. You got nothing. And we stood in the hospital room, me and Kathy, while they're doing CPR on a baby, standing next to mom and dad. Not outside somewhere else. Like ten doctors around this little girl. And then they they give you hope and take it away. I think we got her back. I think we got her. We're going to move her. Because they wanted to fly her to another hospital. They wanted to keep her there. So they kept trying. They kept trying. Oh, no, we lost her. And then, then five minutes or five seconds later, they come back. Oh, I think, we, I think we're going to get her stable. Oh, no, wait, she's crashing again. And they go back. So just so you know, well, maybe I shouldn't tell you this. It's not good if they take you out of the room. If they take you out of the room, that means they're almost done. And then <clears throat> it's worse if they take you out of the room and they put you in another room away from people. I remember. There was nothing to say, nothing to do, and all <clears throat> and all that brought any comfort to that man and that woman was knowing two things. Jesus is better. Jesus is better, and this is part of God's plan. Jesus is better, and this is part of God's plan. I stood in another hospital room with a dad whose son grew up, got married, had kids, literally fell off a motorcycle like, gosh, I've probably done a thousand times. Nothing earth-shattering. wasn't jumping a series of 52 buses. Just a little spill. Hit a rock with his chest. Ruptured his sternum. Put a bone in his heart. Rush him to the hospital. Helicopter. We get there. This guy played football for me. He's big. He's tough. This, there's no way. Put us in a little private room. And the doctor came in. I'll never forget this one. When the doctor came in, I watched the father lift his hands to heaven and praise God because he saw God as a greater treasure than his son. Oh, it didn't stop the crying. He loved his son. But he also knows where he's at. Yeah? That stuff tests your metal, man. It will test your metal. And there's not one of us who's going to get through this life on this earth without suffering that kind of pain. Nobody gets through. We're all going to face it. Jesus needs to be our treasure. So you have what you need when you do. Not a hundred different other things. Jesus needs to be that treasure. That treasure that we cling to and hold to. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you face <clears throat> trials of various kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness will have its full effect 
and it will make you perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, the way God sees suffering and the way we see it is totally different, right? And the one thing that I hold to, I love, you guys know, I, I, I keep, uh, I've been doing the song for a while, though you, though you slay me, I love a song. Shane and Shane do the song. I wish I could be John Piper, but I'm not. But John Piper's got a part, he, he talks about it in the middle of that song. And what he says in the middle of that song is important for us to know, because he says, your suffering is not meaningless. Your suffering is not meaningless. The scripture nowhere does it say your suffering is meaningless or empty or it doesn't matter. Your suffering matters. It is working for you. An enduring weight of glory. It is working and making and and molding you into that which brings glory to God. It's not empty. It has meaning. It matters. It matters so much that the Word of God declares that God, the God of the universe, the God who could, who could or should have a million other things to do, that God of the universe, every time you weep, He says, I catch your tears in my bottle. That's not like a God who don't care? Like a God it doesn't matter that you're going through pain? But it does sound like a God who sees pain different than you and I do. Who sees suffering different than you and I do. Who doesn't see it as some horrific event, but a a means to an end. That there's going to be something greater, something better, that we can't even begin to fathom. Because the Word says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men. The things that God has planned for those who love Him. And who can know the mind of God except the Spirit of God? Any more than who can know the mind of man except the Spirit that is in a man? But it's the Spirit of God that searches the deep things. And God has a purpose in it all. And if we hold Jesus as the greatest treasure in our life, then we will not throw away our confidence. We will not pitch our relationship. We will not find ourselves rocked and lost on the, on the wave, on a sea of crazy emotions. What we'll have is an anchor that keeps us from drifting. We have that anchor keeping us from drifting so that we aren't led to doubt. So that we don't go into a place of dullness of hearing. So we don't find a place where we despise the commandments of God. So we can hold fast to Him. We have need of endurance. You ever said this? I can't take anymore. Uh, Me too. And I know we got Christians, I probably have said it too, so I'm sorry. And we say things like, don't worry, God won't give you more than you can handle. I'm not sure where we get that from. We, we like that. Everybody wants to run to 1 Corinthians 10.13, right? And say, God won't give you more than you can handle. Is that what that says? 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation is overtaking you except such as is common to man. Which means you don't got it any worse than anybody else. And God will not tempt you beyond what you are able But with the temptation will give you what? A way of escape that you might be able to bear it. He didn't say, I'll make it so light you can handle it. What did he say? I'll give you a way to let the pressure off. I'll give you an escape. Where's your escape? It better be to Christ. better be to Him. I've run a million different places to escape. I've escaped in a bottle. I've escaped in a party. I've escaped with a different groups of friends. I've escaped a thousand ways. And if we went around the room, you have too. But where are we supposed to escape? Where's our way of escape? Where do I go? What does the Bible tell us? The Bible says, I can do all things through who strengthens me. Right? Sounds like if I run to Him, 
but I'm going to be okay. I run to Him and I'll have the strength that I need. We need to have expectancy. Look at verse 37. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and not delay. This is what that, 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 this, they did a mean experiment once. You want to know what a mean experiment is? No? I, I won't tell you the story. You don't want to hear it. They did a mean experiment. I think it's a mean experiment. They took a rat and they put it in a bucket of water and they timed how long it took it to drown. I don't remember. Wasn't very long. That's kind of mean. But if you don't like rats, then I get it. That's, that's a good deal for a rat then. <clears throat> then they took the rat and they put it in the same bucket of water. And right before it drowned, they lifted it out. And then they put it back. And they lift it out again. And they put it back. And that rat could swim for hours. As long as it had hope. When it lost hope, it drowned. The reality that the scriptures laying out for us is that God has said, I'm coming. Why does he tell us that? So you have hope. As long as you have hope, you're not going to drown. It don't matter how big the wave is. I have hope. Jesus will come again. I have hope that God is right here. We sang that song, Jesus, in the beginning of our worship set this morning. We talked about the fact that He walks on the water with us. Yeah? Does he take us out of the fire? What did it say? No, he walks with us in the fire. He didn't always deliver us out. Sometimes he delivers us through. But he's always there. He's always with us. We can always hold fast to the hope. We have an expectancy. He's here. He's coming. He's coming. That doesn't mean don't do nothing. He's coming. So you can keep going. He's coming. So you can continue the fight. He's coming. So you can face tomorrow. He's coming. It's our hope. Hold fast to your expectancy. Then he gives us an enablement. Look at this. Verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. What's he saying? The just shall live by faith. What is our enablement? That you live by faith. Now all of chapter 11 is called the hall of faith. We're about to start that. All of chapter 11 is a hall of faith. What's he saying? This is your enablement. This is how you do it. You hold fast to this treasure that is greater than all of the treasures. Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. And you have faith. And then he's going to give us a litany. I don't even know how long it's going to take us to get through chapter 11. As he gives us a litany of examples of men and women who have overcome incredible odds. How? By faith. By faith. By faith. It says in Habakkuk 2, 3, and 4, For still the vision awaits for its appointed time, and it hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, and it will surely come. You hear that? If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, and it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. It's coming. You hear it? It may not be there yet, but it's coming. What's coming? The restoration of every broken, rotten, cruddy thing that has ever happened in life. You know how I know that? Because that's what Jesus says in Revelation. In Revelation, at the wrapping up of everything, Jesus, looking over a crowd that can't even be numbered, of all the people who live their life by faith in Him, He looks at him and He says, See, I make all things new. Every broken, messed up, that's where it all gets put right. That's where it's all fixed. So don't throw away your confidence. That's the only hope you got. No Jesus, no hope. No Jesus, then no hope. Gotta realize. 
we have to hold on to him. Romans 1.17 For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11 Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Over and over and over. We need to do this. we got to ponder the superiority of God, the greatness of God. We have to recognize the great reward over all the world has to offer. We have to recognize, because if we don't, we're going to love this world just like everybody else. We're going to love this world just like everybody else. Verse 39 But we are not like those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith and preserve their souls. Take the things that drive the world and ponder how better and abiding God is. Anything in the world, put it in your head. Most common things a man thinks about is money, sex, power, maybe popularity. Let's think about them. What happens to those things when you die? They're just gone. They're all gone. If that's what you live for, you don't get much. And what you have, you are going to lose. But the treasure of God is better. It's more abiding. It goes beyond death. As if Jesus is your treasure and you die, you lost nothing. He's more abiding than money. Money's temporary. First Corinthians three, twenty-two and twenty-three. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. What's he saying? Everything you long for in life is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Your ability to have a family wrapped up in Jesus Christ. What do you mean? I can't have a family. I can't have a family. How can it be wrapped up in Jesus Christ? Because in Jesus Christ we are your family. What's your greatest treasure? Everything we need is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. He's better than money. He's better than sex. Did he just say that in church? <laughs> Listen, sex is a shadow of the reality of the intimacy and relationship you can have a God. He gave us here a, a picture, an illustration. And what we have in Christ and with God is infinitely better. Infinitely. In Christ. What about power? What greater power is there than being a child of God? Is there more power someplace else than being a child of God, being one of God's kids? Do you not know 1 Corinthians 6.3 says, we are going to judge angels? That's power. What about popularity? Fame's a pipe dream. They love you now, they hate you later. No? All you got to do is say the wrong thing, be the wrong thing, wear the wrong thing, trip on the red carpet. I don't know. Something happens and that's it for you. It's all over. But what if you're known by the greatest being in the universe? What if you're known by God? You. Nobody else really knows you, right? Maybe in our our husbands and wives, really close friends, they get to see some of the little dark corners, right? But nobody knows you like God can know you. He see it all, and He still wants to know you. Now that's popularity. 1 Corinthians 8.3, if anyone loves God, then he is known by God. 
Galatians 4, 9, but, no, but now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. How can you turn again to the weak, worthless, elementary principles of the world? You've been known by God. Hebrews 1, 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Man, don't live for this world. Live for Jesus Christ. And so it goes. Everything the world has to offer, God is better and more abiding. There's no comparison. God wins every single time. The question is, will you have Him? Will you have Him? Just like that. Will we wake up from the trance that we're in in the stupefying world and put our eyes fully and completely on Jesus and see what we have and believe with joy inexpressible? Will you have Him and suffer still? Is He Enough. That's what the writer of Hebrews is asking us. Is he enough? If you never have anything else. That's a question we have to ask ourselves, no? Let's stand together and seek the Lord.